Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, COVID-19. We look at the impact the pandemic is having on Minnesotans, what the governor and lawmakers are doing, how to cope with the stress, the economic impact, and what we can all do to help. Up first, MNN's Bill Werner has a recap of how COVID-19 has been impacting Minnesotans in the past week. Scott, it unfortunately became clear this week that Minnesota will not be over with COVID before the weather gets nice. We are going to be postponing the 2020 uh, Minnesota governor's fishing opener uh, until May 6th through the 9th of 2021. We're going to postpone that, but it doesn't mean we're going to postpone fishing. The opener is still happening on May 9th. We encourage people to get out there, keep a safe distance. And for the first time in its 44-year history, Grandma's Marathon between Two Harbors and Duluth canceled. Christy Stokes, president of the Duluth Greater Downtown Council, said it had to be done and it's heartbreaking. Grandma's has always signaled the start of the summer tourist season for Duluth. And so um, this is something that will be felt far and wide. Economic repercussions of COVID-19 have forced about 10% of Minnesota's workforce to apply for unemployment insurance. And how soon will they be getting those extra benefits that Congress approved in its massive COVID-19 stimulus package? We're being told a matter of days and the 600 bucks in terms of the uh, extending the benefits to broader cross-section of workers who aren't covered by UI. Um, we're being told a matter of weeks there. Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove. Governor Walls indicated this week he had not yet decided whether to extend his stay-at-home order beyond the 10th of April. Our peak is still coming. We are seeing real evidence that social distancing is working and slowing this down. We'll evaluate as we get closer, but I would anticipate sometime towards the early to middle of next week we'll be making that determination. Health care workers and hospitals pleaded with lawmakers this week for more masks, gloves, and other personal protective equipment. Mary Turner, president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. We head into the hospitals every day with what little PPE we have, and that's our armor. But you know something, we're ready to do battle in this virus knowing that the patients and the public is why we became nurses. Governor Walls said more protective equipment, a top priority. He warned, though, current stockpiles of those items and critical ventilators are, quote, not nearly as robust as they need to be for the coming peak of COVID-19 cases. We have got to do better. We have got to ramp up production. We need a focus like we built tanks in World War II to build these things. And, and they need to be done now. Initial runs of the state's computer model forecasted a peak in COVID cases anywhere between mid-May and mid-June, while other models predict it could be sooner than that. State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm says they're still collecting more data. The model has not been rerun yet uh, since uh, about 10 days ago, so uh, cannot uh, give you an update on the, on the projected peak time. That will be coming, as the governor said, um, next week. State officials are trying through social distancing and the stay-at-home order to push that peak back as far as possible so the state can have enough hospital beds ready. One estimate is that Minnesota will need 5,000 intensive care beds when COVID-19 peaks, but officials are not saying yet how close Minnesota is or will be to that number. Commissioner Malcolm. There's a lot of work going on to essentially repurpose some existing hospital capacity into ICU capacity. 
but the, the limiting factor uh, really is the ventilators. Minnesota's nursing homes and other congregate living facilities have been particularly hard hit with COVID-19 infections and deaths, prompting some Minnesotans to agonize over whether they should bring their loved ones back home. Republicans, including State Senator Karen Housley from St. Mary's Point, pushed the Walls administration this week to release the names of care facilities with coronavirus outbreaks. So people in Minnesota can can know and and have this information because the more information we have, uh, the more comfortable we are. The less we have, the more anxiety is caused. Amid mounting public pressure, Minnesota Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm agreed to release the names of nursing homes and other congregate care facilities which have COVID cases, but only those with 10 or more beds. Facilities that are above a size that would allow us to still protect individual resident and staff uh, privacy. And even as the state gets ready to face what could be its darkest hour in the COVID-19 global pandemic, there is hope. Work on a vaccine continues in Minnesota and elsewhere. And Mayo Clinic and the U of M are reportedly close to having antibody tests, which could determine if someone has already been infected with COVID-19 without knowing it and has recovered. Governor Walls says... Certainly that gives us the ability of who wouldn't need to be quarantined, who could be out and is not infecting others um, while themselves are healthy. And and I think that's where some potential lies. Still uncertain is whether some people have a natural immunity to COVID-19 and whether a person can be reinfected once they've had the disease. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Older Minnesotans and their caregivers who have questions about COVID-19 can get answers through a new Community Connections link online through AARP Minnesota. I spoke with AARP Minnesota's Will Phillips about resources available to those in need. Yeah, well, uh, unprecedented times for sure. Um, You know, AARP has been working to promote health and well-being among older Americans for more than 60 years. And in the face of this outbreak and and what we're dealing with, there's never been a more important time to keep doing that. And so we're really working to provide information and resources to help older people, as well as those who are caring uh, for older adults, protect themselves uh, from the virus and and from spreading it to others. And uh, again, I think there's a a population of people, our members, the 50 plus, but certainly vulnerable older adults that we really need to reach. But then there's also a whole a group of individuals who are providing care 
uh, to loved ones, uh, to neighbors, to friends, uh, to family members that, that really need to be reached as well. And that's really the focus of what we're uh, doing right now. And Will, tell me a little bit about the resources that are available. I imagine um, that there's probably a, a website or some links that folks can look for, but maybe just uh, get me started on where folks can start if they need uh, help or if they have questions. Yeah, sure. No, I think the uh, the best place to look uh, for folks here in Minnesota uh, is the AARP Minnesota uh, webpage, and that is aarp.org slash mn. And there we've got a few things that I think people will be interested in. One is that we have a resource guide that we've developed that is specific to Minnesota. Uh, so things uh, concerning access to food, uh, access to critical services, getting questions answered about the latest with COVID-19 or perhaps resources in your community. Those are all things that we tried to cover in that very local resource guide. But we're also on that website highlighting a couple of national resources as well. Uh, one is that uh, every Thursday, uh, we have a national uh, telephone town hall conversation that individuals, uh, wherever they may be, can, can dial into. Uh, and on that teletown hall, we have national experts, uh, medical doctors, folks from CDC, uh, people from a variety of places talking about key issues uh, as it relates to COVID-19 and importantly, answering questions from real people from across the country. That's happening every single week, and there's information on how to join that conversation uh, on our state webpage as well. And then I think the final thing is that we've launched a new online platform called AARP uh, Community Connections. And that platform allows uh, individuals to organize and find local volunteer groups to help do things like pick up groceries, provide financial assistance, lend emotional support to neighbors, friends, and loved ones, and those kinds of things. It also provides an opportunity for people to request a phone call. Uh, AARP is in the process of training hundreds of volunteers from across the country uh, who will be trained to uh, pick up the phone call and provide a friendly voice to people in need. We know that isolation among older adults was a real challenge uh, before all of this started to happen and it's even more so now. So that's a place where people can go again to ask for help, uh, but also perhaps to give some help during this time as well. You know, well, it seems like we're learning uh, new things about COVID-19 every day, but I'm wondering what kinds of concerns are you hearing about from uh, members of AARP Minnesotans? What are the, what's most on their minds these days? You know, I think that, that that really ranges, but I think that there's a whole uh, a whole group of people who are, uh, let's first of all say, caring for loved ones. And that loved one may be at home with them. It may be a spouse. It may be uh, uh, an aging parent, um, some other uh, type of, uh, of relation or loved one. And so I think there's a whole question about how can how can they keep help, help keep those those individuals, those loved ones safe? If there are home care professionals coming into the home, uh, what do they need to be thinking of in terms of maintaining that level of care, but then also keeping keeping their loved ones safe? There's a whole group of people who may be in nursing homes or assisted living facilities uh, or have loved ones who are in those long-term care settings. And there are significant restrictions being placed on those visits for very good reasons, because we uh, need to be practicing this social distancing 
in order to stop the spread of this of this virus. But uh, there's a lot of questions about um, if I can't see them in person, how else can I connect with my loved ones? So I think there's a whole set of, of issues and challenges that are, people are facing who are caring for loved ones. But then there's also a whole set of challenges that people are facing who may be living in community and, uh, and who are staying in place as the governor has ordered. So how are those individuals able to access uh, food? Uh, how are they able to stay uh, connected to loved ones and to try to kind of bust through some of that isolation? Um, so I think information, uh, accessing information, accessing accurate information about, uh, about what's happening, about how to access services, and, and staying safe. I just think there is a whole host of, of, of things around that. And as you suggested, um, it changes every day. And so staying up to, up to speed is a, a real challenge as well. Thank you to my guest, Will Phillips with AARP. Again, that web address for anyone looking for resources, aarp.org mn. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Food emergency organizations around the state are working feverishly to make sure no Minnesotan goes hungry during the COVID-19 outbreak. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. As you can imagine, thousands and thousands of Minnesotans are looking for ways to put food on the table and keep their families healthy during this crisis. Just over the last week, demand has skyrocketed tenfold. Joining me now is Allison O'Toole, CEO of Second Harvest Heartland. Allison, let's talk a little bit about the demand you're seeing for food. Unfortunately, we know these challenges will continue um, to come our way, but Minnesota's emergency food system has been working tirelessly to help make sure our neighbors in need are fed during this really rough uh, time. Second Harvest Heartland has been working with our partners across Minnesota to distribute 1.3 million pounds of food last week alone, which is 350,000 pounds above where we were last year at this time. We're quickly adapting um, to the crisis, changing how we deliver food, uh, including distributing 13,000 emergency food boxes last week. Those are shelf-stable food boxes that um, we can provide more safely to our neighbors. More boxes are on the way, thousands more boxes. We're also supporting Minnesotans who are faced, um, facing reduced hours or job loss and are newly eligible for the SNAP program. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise known as food stamps. Our SNAP outreach team has helped sign up Minnesotans in need so they can begin receiving benefits right away. And referrals to our SNAP outreach team have doubled since March 13th, which, is, which matches the numbers that the Minnesota Department of Human Services is seeing statewide. We see SNAP as such a critical piece of this response. And it's really important to remember that for every meal that all of our wonderful partners provide, SNAP provides nine. So SNAP provides nine times the number of meals that we all do together. And we know that in the coming months, this program will be more important than ever in keeping people safe and fed. 
But more than that, um, SNAP is a source of stability at a time when nothing else feels secure for these families. And we, we encourage anyone who's listening out there who needs help connecting to SNAP resources to go to twoharvest.org to get connected with our team um, who can help you navigate the process. So we have more progress to report. We've helped get 100 local food service workers back working in kitchens and earning income. And together they've helped put out 11,000 meals in the community through Minnesota Central Kitchen. We're adding a new kitchen this week, which will produce up to 3,000 more meals a day to help meet the growing demand for food assistance. And by the first week in April, we will be producing 30,000 meals a week provided by Minnesota Central Kitchen. Allison, with this large of an influx of people needing food assistance, are we as a state going to be able to keep up with the high demand, which I'm assuming is going to continue to rise as we deepen even further into this pandemic? It's sustainable if we have the financial resources. So we all need financial resources like crazy. We have seen this community be so generous with us. Um, and we need them to continue to dig a little deeper um, to help us through this um, this crisis. And that is, it's just the bottom line. We need financial resources more than almost anything else right now. A couple of other things. I think as the food shelves that we are working in close partnership have adjusted their operations to do more drive-through and pick up and walk through, we have adjusted to provide more and more shelf-stable emergency food boxes. Um, those are coming in the thousands now, and so we'll get those um, into the community as quickly as we can. We have, you know, we source a few weeks ahead, so we're in, in good shape there. We see the supply chain strengthening. We're also trying to, we've had conversations about what people need. And so to source according to our needs now, sometimes that means more shelf stable food versus produce, but we still have tons of produce. We're doing drops um, every weekend and adding uh, produce to those emergency boxes whenever we can. So making sure that the partners that we work with so closely, all the food shelves and meal programs um, in our service area have, you know, that we're sourcing to meet their needs. Um, we've benefited from some state money lately, which is very appreciated. That is a band-aid when I think about the long-term consequences of this crisis. So we are so appreciative to Governor Walls and the state legislature that they have worked on a bipartisan basis. We need continued help and we will be um, working with our partners at Hunger Solutions uh, as they do so much advocacy on behalf of the Food Shelf Network, um, but working to measure those needs into the future because um, that's how we need the public and private uh, forces to work together to support this community. Allison, you said this crisis isn't a sprint, but a marathon. How are all the food assistance teams holding up around the state? The warehouse workers and the drivers are in overdrive. They are in the highest gear that we have. Um, and they feel this mission, our mission to end hunger together is just 
you know, on the, it is the fire in their bellies as they come to work every day. And they are so proud to serve this community. Thanks again to my guest, Allison O'Toole, CEO of Second Harvest Heartland. For more information on emergency food assistance and the SNAP food program, you can head to twoharvest.org. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands. Cover your cough. Don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat. They actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors, and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Competition in college athletics continues to stand still, which has created challenges at all levels. The commissioner of the Division III Upper Midwest Athletic Conference says this is an unprecedented time and all institutions in his conference are working hard to deal with the tough times, especially related to student-athlete mental health. Corey Borkhart says even though competition is shut down, his conference will continue to provide administration, but they have a bigger goal for the short term to ensure mental health resources are available at all of the league's institutions. Commissioner Borkhart joined MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm on Minnesota Matters. A lot of um, places now have 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 come to realize how important mental health is to college-age kids, whether they're athletes or not, what have you. Um, and then you throw this piece in with it, um, particularly for athletes in your conference. Um, kind of give me uh, a thought in terms of what the institutions in, in your league and what the coaches and administrators might be trying to help with in terms of handling for these college-age kids, and, and in your case, these athletes in your conference, the mental side of this with this big Many have mental health issues already trying to fight through whatever life might deal them as young adults, and now you throw this on top of it. What, kind of take me through as a league what, what some of the institutions and some of your coaches are, are saying uh, in trying to help from that standpoint. Yeah, that's that's such a critical part to um, you know address and, and to talk about, so I'm glad you brought that up. We we realized right away in our conference office, our conference staff, that, you know, we're still going to provide services and support for our members this spring and um, do everything we can, but it's going to look a whole lot different um, in terms of what type of services and support that we're going to provide this spring. And, and so uh, first and foremost, many of our institutions um, have and are in the process of providing new or additional mental health-related resources for their, their student athletes and coaches and staff as well who are all you know, still emotionally working through this. Um, and so whether that's, uh, you know, additional counseling services opportunities, um, whether it's programming, you know, that provides some opportunities for coaches um, to work through at the institutional level, uh, many of our members are, are doing that. From the conference 
level of, you know, what we can do and what we can control. We um, are really focusing our efforts on the spring of trying to provide some professional development opportunities for coaches. We're going to be doing um, several, you know, Zoom video conference calls where uh, part of it will be just for coaches to, to be able to share and talk about their experience and hear from other coaches and, uh, you know, share together in some of the challenges and, and the uh, emotional highs and lows that this spring has already brought it will bring. So we'll, we plan to do that throughout April and May, and uh, as part of that also will be some programming uh, focusing on, you know, how do coaches still recruit? How do they still engage, stay engaged with their current student-athletes and have success? But really it's going to be wrapped in, and, and I bring it back to your question about mental health, a lot of the, you know, kind of true foundation or intent of some of those things that we'll do is to try to do what we can to still help support our coaches and our athletic staff work through this. And our goal and hope then is that they can do, um, you know, even a better job and, and carry that on to the student-athletes. They, the coaches really are on the front lines in terms of helping answer questions for students, um, helping student-athletes work through, you know, difficult decisions. And so we feel at the, the conference level or from the seats that we sit in, uh, if we can support our administrators and coaches, hopefully that'll have a, a trickle um, effect and impact and kind of expound then further down to the, the student-athlete level as well. Yeah, and I would think, too, for coaches that that is part of the challenge. I think traditionally if, if adversity strikes a team, um, a coach might say, hey, uh, let's have a team meeting in the meeting room or let's let's get together in the locker room and, and um, we can talk it out or, hey, come to the office if it's an individual thing. In this case, nobody's around anybody. Uh, I mean, this is uh, – I mean, coaches are dealing with kids in, in college athletics especially um, that, that might be in, in different states, different parts of the country. Uh, so I would think the challenge is especially difficult. It's interesting, though. Uh, one of the things that I love about coaches is, is they never stop, right? If you're a coach, you're always a coach, and that passion is there. And uh, Yes, how that's uh, you know, played out this spring is going to look a lot different or how that's demonstrated and uh, you know, will be unique, maybe never seen again in terms of how coaches are utilizing their passion and their skills and their energy. But Coaches are still finding a way, and that's what I love uh, about our UMAC coaches. They uh, are being creative, you know, primarily through obviously different video, uh, you know, call type of software and tools. They can still connect, whether it's individually or with their entire team. Uh, but they're they're doing great things still via social media as well, connecting um, with their student athletes, and so uh, it. Well, you know, I think it took a week to two to kind of to come to that reality, okay, this is what it's going to be in terms of our coaches for the spring. But once they knew that's how it was going to be, they jumped to that next step in planning and, and figuring out the tools that they did have and could use uh, to still keep in touch with their athletes and continue to build those relationships, which for our institutions that are very enrollment-driven and uh, the athletics population plays such a critical role in enrollment strategies, our, our coaches are, are pivotal in terms of retention and keeping in touch with the athletes that hopefully will uh, pay dividends in terms of continuing their experience still next fall if, uh, you know, it can try to be as normal or return to as, uh, whatever that new normal may look like. That's UMAC Commissioner Corey Borkhart with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. Please continue to be safe and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.